podcast hosting for the Run With It podcast is provided by Transistor.fm. Welcome to Run With It, the podcast that brings you business ideas from established entrepreneurs. Each episode, you'll hear a new business idea and the exact steps our guests would take to get started. Follow through and you can earn a free mentoring session with today's guest and potentially a business partnership. Here are your hosts, Chris Justin and Ethan Janney. I'm Chris Justin. And I'm Ethan Janney. And on today's show, we have Kara Perez. In January 2017, Kara founded Bravely, a community that gives self-identified women the financial tools to bridge the gap between their dreams and their realities. Kara discovered her love of finances courtesy of her quarter-life crisis. Broke, underemployed, and saddled with student loan debt, she realized that her lack of financial education was crippling her adulthood. After becoming debt-free in June 2015, Kara created Bravely to help other women take control of their financial lives. She's co-host of the Fairer Sense podcast, Women, Money, and the Fight to Break Even. Kara, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Kara, you're doing this awesome stuff with Bravely Go, the Fair Sense podcast. Uh, it's I think it's really important what you're doing, and and uh, we want to hear all about that at the end of the episode. But our podcast is all about new business ideas, and you have mentioned one to me, which I'm excited for you to share. So let's just launch right into that. Tell us about a problem you're seeing in the world today. Yeah. So the problem I see is that the outdoor space, the outdoor retail space, as well as influencer space is really white. (laughs) And it's great to have white people out there, but there are a lot of other people who are doing cool things in the space or want to have the opportunity to do cool things in the outdoor space, and they don't have access right now. And I think this is actually a really easily solvable problem that we are not seeing solved. Very awesome. What caught your eye in the outdoor space particularly? Yeah, so I'm a big fan of the outdoors. I like to try and spend as much time as I can outside hiking and camping. And I'm biracial, but I'm very much so white passing. If you looked at me, you would just think there's a basic white girl. Um, And so that's really colored my relationship to the outdoors. I've never felt out of, I've never felt uncomfortable when I'm hiking or camping, but sometimes I'll go with friends of color and they'll be like, I'm the only brown person here. And I'm like, oh damn, you are the only brown person here. Um, I also recently in the last two years really started to diversify my social media feeds and really make sure that I was following people of different backgrounds, both financially and racially, to make sure that I was really getting as full a picture as I could of kind of life in the outdoor space. If you follow, you know, a bunch of like 25 year old white girls on beaches, I'm so glad they're living their best lives, but it makes you think this is what the space is. And actually there's a lot of other people out there who are doing things like leading overnight backpacking trips specifically for black people or for, um, fat people. I'm going to use that word not as an insult, but that's because what I see these activists using. Um, And that's not the norm that we see in marketing and media and represented in who owns these companies. So all of that led me to think, yeah, you know what? 
the mainstream narrative here is one thing, but the reality of who's trying to get into these spaces um, is very different. So I'm going to, this is, this could toe some dangerous ground for us here, but we're just going to go for it, right? Go <laughs> away, my friend. Yeah. And uh, maybe we had enough chop for this entire question, but here we go. <laughs> um, there are a lot of problems that are going on in the world today, specifically if we focus on the U.S., where all of us live in the U.S., and maybe people who are not a minority or, or seeing, experiencing these, these uh, challenges that you are describing, it's hard to understand why that's important and why, that's, why we should focus on that. So, you know, why should we care? Why is this something that we should put forth some effort and resources to addressing? Totally. I, that's such a good question because this is something that I also see a lot in the work I do with my current company, Bravely Go, which specifically focuses on women um, and people of marginalized genders. And a lot of people will say, you know, men and women need the same financial advice, just spend less than you earn, save and invest the difference. But the reality is women make less than men. We live longer than men. Um, we are discriminated against in ways that men are not. So giving us the same financial roadmap is actually not very helpful. And it's the same with people of color in both the financial industry and uh, the outdoor industry. And so I think, A, to answer the question of why people who are not discriminated against should care, because that's what good people do. <laughs> like, I'm not sure if you saw this. It went around a while ago, about a year ago. It was an article speaking about the politics of today. And it was like, I don't know how to explain to you that you should care about other people. I think a fundamental part of being a human, we're social creatures. We need each other and we need all of each other. We don't just need the people that look like us or that make us feel comfortable, right? We need everyone. So care about other people. The other thing too, from a pure business perspective, if you only market to one type of person, you are leaving potentially billions of dollars on the table. And that is bonkers. Who doesn't want their business to be a success, right? Who doesn't want to reach more people and to build a thriving business? So in anything that you do, the more inclusive you can be, ideally, the more successful you'll be because you have a bigger marketplace. I want to come back to that that finance point, and Ethan, I'm going to let you jump in soon, but uh, to press on that problem a little bit more, sure, there's you can say that, and, and sure, there's some opportunities for improvement, and, and maybe there's underrepresentation in the outdoor space, and I'm a minority, I don't know if people know that, listeners, uh, so I'll speak with a little bit more wind in my back here. <laughs> um, but again, there's, there's a lot of things that people can care about and, and allocate their resources. And a jaded person could say, why spend some time on this when I'm struggling? Like my family in middle America has jobs have gone away and, and you're asking me to focus my energy on uh, helping another group of people to seemingly get ahead of me. Yeah. So I often hear things like that. Um, I live in Texas. It's a lot of people who have a lot of feelings um, about a lot of people. Um, 
So what I always say is it's not a zero-sum game. Just because somebody gets something doesn't mean you, therefore, do not get something. And when you advocate for other people, really fundamentally, you advocate for yourself as well, right? The more a rising tide lifts all boats, the more we all get free, the more we all get free. I also think something that really bothers me about the United States is that we have this individualist mindset. We have this bootstrapping, I'm a pioneer and I did it for myself and you need to do it for yourself mindset. But I also think, especially given the time we're living in now, that's really coming back to bite us in the butt because it's fragmented our society. We're lonelier than ever before in the United States. And when it comes to the systems that we've built, we have these few outliers. You know, we have the Mark Zuckerbergs and we have the Jay-Zs who are able to climb to the top, but the vast majority of people are really struggling in a lot of different ways, not just financially, um, emotionally. People are having fewer and few, fewer kids. Um, we are, like I said, more isolated as a society because we live in these giant houses rather than these uh, communities anymore. And so I would say... You know, that's taking a very big picture view, but it is a big picture view that needs to be exercised in more individual ways. So rather than thinking, if I'm already struggling and if I take time to help somebody else out, that means I'll struggle more. It's actually, you know what, if I take time to help somebody else out, now maybe they'll take time to help me and we're all going to get ahead a little bit better. Can I just introduce a little bit of nuance to what you brought up, Chris, is this business, does it address that topic of somebody helping somebody else? Like, is this a business where it should be run by a a person who is not a minority and that they're going to be starting this business so they can be so wonderful to help other groups? Is it started by someone who maybe identifies with a particular group and then they can speak that language and, you know, help solve the pains a little bit better in a situation like, you know, where somebody is feeling underrepresented and they just, you know, they want a cool backpack that works for them that they can go outdoors with. So how would you think about it? Do you think this, the listener that's going to start this business, are they going to be a minority? Are they going to not be a minority? Is it going to not matter at all? You know, how should people think about that? Yeah, I definitely think it should be a person of color. Um, that's actually something that in the the homework <laughs> that y'all sent about this, I think one of the biggest problems facing this idea is that a lot of well-intentioned white people might have it and they shouldn't be the ones to do it. And I include myself in that. Um, this is not a lane that I should be taking up. And there are a lot of people of color that have started their own nonprofits or their own organizations that do aspects of this business. And fundamentally, this would be a business. I see it as a marketing and PR firm, as well as a company that builds its own conference. Because right now, there's really only one major conference in the outdoor retail space, and it's called Outdoor Retailer. It's hosted in Salt Lake City every year. So I think there's room for more events in that space um, that we're not seeing. So there's lots of opportunities to make money. So fundamentally, the mission of this, I think, is to change the narrative, but it's also to run like a business. Um, And I think that should be done, like I said, by a person of color. Cool. Yeah. And also, I want to just interject, as far as the like a business, business projects, they're, they're solving a pain and that's kind of where the money comes from. 
right? So people pay to solve pains. They also pay to pursue pleasures and things like that. But in, in, the, in the primary sense, that's why we ask, what's the problem that we see in the world? So is this, I think I know the answer to this, but I just want to put it out there to discuss it in front of the listeners. Is this a problem from the business owner's perspective? Like we're saying, oh, they're not making enough revenue. And so they need to diversify who they're marketing to. Or this, is this really solving this problem for the consumers here where they're going to say, hey, oh, like here's something I can feel a lot better about buying. You know, maybe they'll even pay a little bit more or maybe they'll go, go through a special go to special uh, means to attend a, a conference or something like that because, hey, this is meaningful to, to me. Any thoughts on that idea? Who, who's, who's the, what pain is being solved and who's going to pay and why? Totally. I think it's both. So the major retail brands in the outdoor space, if you look back at their marketing materials, for example, it's a lot of white people. And so I think they have a blind spot that could be best served by putting them in connection with influencers of color in the retail, the outdoor retail space, because now that's going to help promote their brand and perhaps the person of color walking down the street who has never seen a black person in an REI catalog before is thinking, oh, wait, there's a black person. I'm black. Okay, maybe I can, maybe, maybe REI is for me. Also, I do think it is, it solves a pain point for the influencers who have these audiences, they have these built in fans, right? And they just need brand partnerships to be able to continue to do the work that they do and to share the message that they share. One of my friends is in the travel outdoor space. Her name is uh, Kiona, and she often she speaks in um, AAVE African American Vernacular English, and in all of her Instagram and social media stuff. And a lot of brands don't want to work with that because their target demographic doesn't use that. But guess what? There's a whole demographic out there that does use that, and if they injected Kiona's voice into their brand, a they're not only marketing now to those people that they weren't reaching before, they're also adding this level of, of, I hate to use the word authenticity, but they're introducing a new person who is bringing a new perspective. And I think that's so valuable to the existing clientele base. Like, I mean, Ethan, you're white. I'm white. I don't get mad when I see a black person on marketing materials, right? But I may notice it if it's coming from a brand that's pre previously been really, really white. And now I'm like, oh, cool. Who's this person? So now I'm, I'm Wikipediaing. I'm trying to find them on Instagram. So it helps the influencers and I think it helps the brands. That's interesting. One of the things as you were describing this, one of the concerns that I imagine could come up for a brand is do they lose their core demographic if they start in being more inclusive? I don't know how else to put it. If they start showing people speaking AAVE, are they going to then slightly reduce conversions for everyone else? It's hard to measure, but is that a risk that's going to come up that people are afraid to, to talk about? Oh, yeah. People are definitely afraid to talk about it. But I think Nike is actually a great example of this. So Nike... This year, 2019, 2018, um, you know, they unleashed a campaign with Colin Kaepernick, who has been eviscerated in the public discourse. And a lot of people were big mad at the beginning, right? Oh, I'm, I'm burning my Nikes. I'm unfollowing, et cetera, et cetera. And the stock dipped for about 24 hours. And then it went right back up. I mean, 
we are living, the United States is a country that in 20 years, not even, is going to be majority people of color, um, particularly Latinos. And while our power structures, like our government system, is predominantly white people, like that is changing. We can't, white people have to stop being afraid of people of color. <laughs> like I'm just going to put that out there. And I mean, not so much in a like, oh, I'm afraid of you, like walking down the street, but we have to understand that by recognizing these existing POC markets that are already out there, frankly, we're not hurting white markets. Maybe some people are going to be mad, but guess what? People are going to be mad for the weirdest reason. Some people, I have this website, people email me all the time about things like, I don't think your logo should be there. I think it should be on this other part of the page. And I'm like, you know what? (laughs) You really can't please everyone, but numbers don't lie. There's an amazing Jay-Z quote that I love. Men lie, women lie, numbers don't. And using Nike as our case studies, looking at other brands that have really focused on inclusivity. I think Torrid, which is a plus size fashion line, is another great example. So many fashion companies are afraid to make and promote plus size clothing because the image of what a model or what a desirable body is, is like a size zero, five, eight white lady. But guess what? Torrid is not hurting for dollars because the average American woman is a size 12 to 16. That's where the dollars are. So I'm thinking... I'm, I'm thinking literally, I might be jumping the gun on this, and I, and I know I am because we haven't talked about all the rest of the details, but I know some people who, who want to have a do-good marketing agency, basically. And I think that's kind of what you're talking about is taking the angle of being the, the promoter of this, right? Working with brands to help them be better at this and maybe working with some influencers to help their brands grow if they're a minority or something like this. Am, am I right? Is that, that's kind of the direction that this project goes, right? Yes. So who do we get started talking to, to get this started? And, and I'm, I'm jumping the gun a little bit and Chris, you could just totally rein me I, in. I, I do want to rein you in a little bit because I, I don't completely understand exactly what we want to focus the problem in, but I do want to come back to, to your question, Ethan. I think it's, we need to get there. Yeah. Is the the problem that you're describing, is it there are existing POCs in the outdoor business in rec space that aren't getting the business growth that they could because they uh, haven't been able to to get the marketing resources or tell the story in a way that's connecting them to the audience that they have? So is that the question or or is that the problem or is the problem that they... Uh, there aren't enough of them that exist right now in general. Can you flesh that out for us a little bit more? Absolutely. So I see the problem as twofold. One, the existing outdoor retail space. So the big giant names that we all know where we get our skis and our puffy jackets from are predominantly white companies from top down. I think that's a structural issue that can be resolved. Two, there are a lot of POC outdoor influencers that are kind of, they're going it alone. They're using social media to build their platforms. They're self-funded. And as a result, especially when you're self-funded or you're maybe only able to do this part-time while you have to go to the, you know, the dentist office that you work at to pay your actual bills, you really only have, you can hit thresholds pretty early, whether it's with your time and your energy, or you don't have the money to pay for the marketing that some of these other companies are doing. 
So I think we can solve both of those issues by creating this marketing PR firm where in-house, we've got all the influencers, right? They come to whoever's, I'm going to use me, but again, I don't want to be starting this. Um, They come to me and they say, look, I've got 20,000 followers on Instagram. I've worked with a few brands before, but I'm really trying to work with bigger brands in the boot space. You know, I want to be working in like hiking boots. How do I do this? The firm then goes and says to the existing you know, outdoor shoe people, hey, I've got these seven influencers with a combined 500,000 person reach. They want to do X, Y, and Z social media package with you. Do you have the space on your calendar, et cetera, et cetera. So now we've got money into the hands of these POC influencers. We've got their faces, hopefully in major brand marketing. And the brands are opening themselves up to new communities that are like, oh, that's my favorite influencer, or oh, this is the first time I'm seeing a woman of color on such and such. And the dollars flow from there. I love it because it's a huge opportunity. If the brand, if the people that you contact at the brand are willing, you know, you're, if you're contacting the right people and diversity matters and to them and, and companies are changing, just like you said, the government is changing, the population is changing. It's kind of like a no brainer. Right. Like, yeah, pay us. We'll increase your revenue and increase your diversity and everybody wins. Are are there certain companies that are, let's just say, white majority companies that are traditionally associated with uh, white people only wearing that clothing? And this is broad generalization, but let's say it's I don't know. I, I don't know if this is true. Ralph Lauren, for example, and maybe black people don't wear Ralph Lauren at all. And I'm picturing if a black influencer were to wear Ralph Lauren, would his or her followers kind of recoil and be like, yeah, that, we don't do that. That's, you know, w- would it, I guess the question I'm asking is, would that work? Yeah. I mean, obviously the great thing about using influencers is they know their audience. They know why people follow them and like them. They're in touch with that. So Certain brands may not make sense for certain influencers, but I don't think there's going to be a big backlash, actually. So here's an exciting example. Lizzo, who is a singer who I love. um, My wife loves Lizzo as well. Listen, she really is speaking to women across this nation right now. (laughs) Um, So she is a plus-size, dark-skinned Black woman. And a few months ago, maybe like eight or nine months ago, she partnered with um, Kourtney Kardashian's jean line, which I think is called like True American. And people were furious because the Kardashians are... Hashtag problematic, let's say, (laughs) and specifically along race lines. Um, So a lot of people were really mad at Lizzo for partnering with that brand. And to Lizzo's credit, she put up this post on her Instagram and said, leave your comments here. I'm going to respond to as many as I can in the next couple of hours and explain this decision to you. And over and over again, she kept saying, you know, people kept asking, why would you partner with this brand? We think it really devalues your brand. It makes us trust you less. It seems just like a money grab. What's going on here? And Lizzo kept saying, listen, the Kardashians run entertainment, basically. You know, they are this huge powerhouse. And for me to partner with them, it gets me in front of their brand, like the people who follow them. So it introduces me to this entirely new audience. And it is 
inclusivity in this like really aspirational, like the Kardashians are well known for their looks, right? And very much so promote a very specific body size. That body size is not Lizzo. So for Lizzo to get up in that brand, she felt like was paving the way for more plus size folks. So I think a lot of people were still mad. But also you could see in the comments a lot of people saying, oh, I hadn't thought of it that way. I just kind of reacted. Or actually, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So yeah, every partnership might not make sense. And everything might not be, you know, smooth as smooth as silk. I was like, smooth as gravy? What's the saying here? <laughs> right away. But I don't think that's a reason to not do something. And I think you could handle it very appropriately given enough lead time, given knowing your audience well enough? That's a great question, Chris. Yeah. That's a great answer. Kara, you just thought this all through. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's get into the... Ethan, you want to circle back to to your point? Yeah, sure. We uh, we skipped over some things we talk about, like like actual... Sometimes we talk about quantities of money like that someone would pay. But I mean, very briefly, a marketing agency could make thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars on a particular job for a particular brand. So that would just be up to the specifics of of how you're going to operate, who you're going to work with. Um, Yeah, this is where we like to give things to our listeners is places where they can actually get this started, Um, especially some steps that they can take that would impress you. Oh, hey, look, you've gotten a a great um, jump on this, this particular idea. Um, do we have any thoughts about what are the first steps? Yeah. So I always think first step should be research. Um, you know, you have to understand the market before you enter it. Just because I'm a big hiker doesn't mean I should be, you know, in charge of hiking marketing materials for the six biggest outdoor retailers uh, in the U.S. So definitely do your your research there. The other thing I think everyone should do, and I've done this with my own, existing company is make the business plan, sit down and understand where the money is coming in, where the money will be going out. That's probably going to change your first year in business. You get thrown a lot of curveballs, but if you have at least a outline of what you're trying to do and how much you think it's going to cost in both dollars and time, you're 10,000 steps ahead of most people who start businesses. <laughs> so those are the two like very practical things I really recommend everyone do. And then also in the research, like I said, there are a lot of people who have begun to form their own organizations and nonprofits and what have you. So don't step on someone's toes. If someone's already kind of doing something like this, like there is one organization, it's called Outdoor Afro. It's run by a black woman and she specifically organizes like overnight hikes and backpacking excursions for black people. So that's an amazing partnership. Now I don't need to like include exactly what she's doing in my work, right? Cause she's doing it. Um, so really approach it with respect and find a way to bring the people who are already in the space into the agency without ripping them off. Mm -hmm. So like searching for partners and searching for people that can, that can get on board and you can sort of take advantage of the influence that they might have by partnering. Mm -hmm. I like that. I categorize this business as a a connector style business. If you were to think about the, the main value being added, right? It's, it's bringing groups of people together who don't typically mingle and do business. What is keeping them from 
cutting you out and in, in directly forming this partnership? Contracts. Um, <laughs> I write down everything. <laughs> no, that's right. I mean, right now, let's say there was an influencer who has twenty thousand followers, and if you, it's okay to not have the you know the exact answer for this. I can we can muse on it together. But let's say there's someone who has twenty thousand followers, or even a hundred thousand followers. What's keeping them from reaching out to some of these brands that traditionally don't represent? POCs and uh, creating a direct relationship with them. Oh, nothing. And I know for sure that that is happening. Um, I think what the agency would seek to solve is the success rate. Some of the influencers I follow will openly share, you know, I've pitched a hundred companies, one said yes. And so I think there's probably, especially in some of these communities where people are coming to it, where they don't have a business background, they don't have a marketing background, they just are engaging and passionate and that's how they grew their following. They don't know necessarily like what a pitch deck is. They don't have the connections because they haven't been able to go to conferences or get on podcasts or whatever to build the brand in this other way. Um, So I think that's what the agency would offer. But of course, influencers can go out and do go out and pitch on their own. But rather than sending a cold email, the agency would offer warm connections. Yeah, I can see also that, that just developing, you know, if you, if you're focusing on this over and over again, you're going to get better at it than everybody else. And so you're going to kind of, kind of become this linchpin where it's like, they could try to do it without you, but you know enough and you have enough of the experience to really make it happen. Also, this is an interesting place where being a minority, a very specific type of minority will become an advantage, right? It was just like we talked about earlier, if somebody's going to start this business, they're probably going to be a person of color, right? And you're not going to, you might not do very well at all if you tried to start this business, if you weren't a person of color. <laughs> and so I think that also gives someone a moat around their project that, that they, not only that they look the part, but that they literally know the market you know, way better than anybody else would. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I'd say um, managers exist for a reason, right? There, there are reasons that bands don't manage themselves or Kim Kardashian doesn't manage herself. Oh, so true. So to bring it back to the action that people can take, you have to get good at the skill of being able to, of connecting the influencer's and these brands that that need them. And that can be presentation skills, selling skills, marketing, right? Outreach, networking, connecting with these people. If you don't already have experience doing that, you, you can get that. You can absolutely get that. But that's a, it's a critical thing to have in order to, uh, to create this business. Yeah, absolutely. You have to be someone who enjoys speaking to people. You have to have a thick skin because you're going to hear a lot of no's um, and you can't let that deter you. And you have to know there really is a language to business. And I think the more the, the more fluent you are in that language, the more successful you'll be. I like the idea of casting a wide net and contacting as many high level influencers in the POC outdoor space as many as there are, you, you know better than me, but contacting as many as you can and really getting them on board with you and saying, this is going to be my new project and I want to make your life better. I want to make your brand better, these people that are influencers. 
and get yourself like five on board or at least like three, um, but more than one. And take the fact that they're on board and negotiate a certain percentage maybe of certain deals that you would get. Say, hey, if I'm going to get you a deal of a 10%, 15%, could be even as much as 50%, depending on what the structure of, of profitability is. So now, once you've got them together, then you start working on, let's go to these various brands and I'll start pitching. And I'll, you'll have a, like a really nice plan in order. You'll say, hey, I've got this person, this person, and this person. And here's what we're going to do to mark, start marketing in this domain. And you could almost even look at their, their existing marketing campaigns and just create a modification you know, and pitch it to them based on these, these new individuals that, that would be a part of the marketing. Yeah, definitely. Um, the fee-based structure, you could either do, you know, influencers pay you an annual fee to be part of it, or you could do percentages. And yeah, I mean, like you said, I know this space and I can think of at least 15 influencers off the top of my head. I'm sure there are easily a hundred. And again, the more influencers you have in your back pocket to bring to bear, to bring to brands, the more likely you are to find a good fit for that brand. If you have one influencer or even three influencers and the brand's like, uh, if none of these are right, they can move on pretty quickly. But if you've got 25, you've got a way better chance of finding one that's right for the REIs and the Nikes of the world. Mm-hmm. Let's say you've got your influencer Rolodex filled out. You have a clear idea of what kind of engagement they get when they have a post and, and maybe some affiliate sales that they get as a result of their existing efforts. Now it comes time to reach out to, let's say, REI. What do you do? Yeah. So a brand like REI has a huge marketing department, right? So the role that you're looking for is manager in charge of partner relationships. There may even be an influencer relationship. Um, you don't just want to reach out to director of social media because that person is probably working high level and they're actually outsourcing it to their assistant director of social media. So look for something with partnerships in the name. You should be able to find that information. If you can't get it directly on their website, um, that is going to be someplace like LinkedIn or where have you. You might have to do some digging. Uh, once you have their email it really, really depends on writing a good email. <laughs> uh, Chris has seen me talk about writing a good email before. So many people send terrible emails. I just got an email this morning on my podcast, Dear the Fairer Sense. And I'm like, we have names, you know? <laughs> <Like> <laughs> nothing about this open. And it's, you know, five words makes me want to continue reading. So find the person's name. Send along a somewhat personal note doesn't have to be like, I know your dog Susie is blah, blah, blah. No, not at all. But something that's relevant to their day-to-day work life. Send along a really banging pitch deck. You know, that should be very beautiful pictures. That should be all the statistics of your influencers up front. Here's how many followers they have. Here's the engagement rate. Here are brands we've worked with before and what it did for that brand. Because you have to remember at the end of the day, REI is a business. They may want to do nice things, but they also want dollars coming through the door. So 
show the results that your influencers are capable of. Put that in front of the brand and then follow up. Do not be afraid of the follow-up. I always send three or four follow-up emails if I don't hear from someone because you never know. You could be catching them on a super busy day. They're just not in their inbox. Okay, so that's one that's just out the door. Or maybe they read it and then they forgot about it because you know, their manager called them into a meeting and et cetera, et cetera. Maybe it's the third one that actually gets them. So please follow up. I really love that we're giving this kind of information to the listeners. These are what we call nuggets. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I want to just address a concern that I know people have reaching out to like an REI or something like that. What do I do? Because uh, what if I write a bad email and um, I make a bad impression on that, you know, that director of of relationships. Is that okay? Uh, How do I come back? Can I come back? Am I going to ruin any chance of ever working with them again? What what are your thoughts on those questions? Yeah. So first of all, think about how many emails you get a day. It's probably a lot. And even me, I got this email this morning, right? That I was like, but I don't know who it's from. I have no idea. if, And I read it an hour and a half ago. So <laughs> I've already forgotten. I did delete it. But if they sent back another one that said, Dear Kara and Tanya, et cetera, et cetera, I wouldn't be like, mm, on October 19th, they sent me a terrible email and I'm going to hold this against them forever because I'm not going to remember the first terrible email. So my main advice is like, it's not that deep, bro. <laughs> you know? And second of all, unless you send like a hugely insulting bad email. Like if you just send a poorly worded pitch, worse is just going to be deleted and moved on. If you insult their mother, then yeah, they might remember that, (laughs) but most people aren't doing that. Right. So again, like don't, don't take it personal, follow up and track, do your research again. Like you can find email templates out there and you can talk to other people that you know that, um, have pitched bigger brands, whether they've been successful or unsuccessful and ask, you know, what do you think worked? What do you think didn't work? And use that information to craft your email, but also don't worry. Like REI does not care about you <laughs> and let that be really freeing. That's cool. I, I love that advice. And, but it's not obvious. I know it's not obvious to a lot of people. And I just want to highlight something else along the lines of sending a nice pitch deck with stats. I think it'd be a great idea to find someone that they're existing, they're already partnering with that might have similar stats. So you kind of say, hey, look, you're working with this person. Like, here's their stats. I looked them up. Here's how many followers they have. Here's what's going on here. I'm bringing you this totally new person. I mean, what's the difference? Like, let's work together. Um, so I think that's an, also an interesting direction to go. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. Look at this sad sack you've been working with. Let me present a better option. <laughs> Don't use that language. <laughs> uh, that's great. Well, this has been a fantastic conversation, Kara. I appreciate you. We appreciate you coming on here and talking it through with us. We are, uh, we're coming up on time. So listeners, if you've followed along, you bought into this idea, you recognize the value that uh, an organization like this can provide, then take some action. Follow through on what we've talked about and let us know what you've done. Email us at update at runwithit.fm with exactly what you did. Everyone who emails us will get access to a private Facebook group of action takers. And one person we will choose to connect you with Kara for a free one hour mentoring session to talk through this idea. If, uh, if Kara likes what you've 
discussed, then maybe you guys can partner on it. I know that she can't be the lead, but you know, she can help out. She's got a lot of great insights as you've heard on this episode itself and, and, uh, she can really help you get things going. Yeah. Kara, I want to ask you to share a plug for some of your existing products and things that you've got going on. Uh, before that, maybe share one thing. So there's a listener, they've heard this podcast, they've got it you know, a lot of energy behind it. What is the first thing that you'd have them do? I think the first thing you should do is write out kind of a mission statement and really analyze why this idea is appealing to you, because that's going to show you what you want to do with this idea. You know, if you're a person of color who is feeling underrepresented, underrepresented, (laughs) um, you're going to be probably excited about getting people who look like you up in the space. And if you're, you know, there could be many, many reasons why you're feeling really lit up by this idea. So try and write that out in as much detail as possible, and then let that guide the action steps you want to take. I love it. Can you share a little bit about some of what you're working on? I have a pop-up financial literacy event company called Bravely Go. You can find us at bravelygo.co not.com. And uh, we bravely go on Instagram for all you influencers out there. Um, It's also uh, bravely go on Twitter. And we talk about all things money, feminism, intersectional money, as well as really practical, actionable advice. We really try and go beyond inspiration to practical application. Um, so find us there. Come say hi. I spend way too much time on the internet. And then if you're digging these dulcet tones, I have my podcast, The Fair Sense, C-E-N-T-S, where, again, we talk about women and money on a high level. So it's less how to save money at the grocery store, and it's more the wellness industry seems like a scam that's targeting women. <laughs> Let's get into it. Quick question. Do you do like any, like a course or anything like that for people? Yes, I do. I have a course called Talk Money to Me um, that will be four parts. It's currently two parts, <laughs> working on the other two. Um, but it covers debt payoff, budgeting, investing, and negotiation. We also have a $20 budget workbook that is eight chapters, 22 pages, two spreadsheets, and filled with Leslie Nope quotes. So if you are a fan of Leslie Nope, you will enjoy this workbook. Awesome. Perfect. Well, Kara, thank you so much for joining us here. It's been entertaining, enlightening. We touched on some some uh, hard to discuss topics, so I feel like we just did a social good as well and it's been uh, it's been great all around. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed this. This was great. Now, it's time for you to run with it. Follow through on the action steps discussed and email a summary of what you did to update at runwithit.fm. Every listener who emails us will gain exclusive access to a private Facebook group of action takers. And one listener will earn a free mentoring session with today's guest and potentially a business partnership. Help us build the Run With It community of generous entrepreneurs. Please like, subscribe, and review us online. And remember, the secret of getting ahead is getting started. Podcast hosting for the Run With It podcast is provided by Transistor.fm. They host our MP3 files, generate our RSS feed, provide us with analytics, and help us distribute the show to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. 
If you want to start your own podcast or you want to switch to Transistor, go to transistor.fm slash run, that's R-U-N, and get 15% off your first year.